0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Kissing. How weird is it that we just mash our faces together instead of using our words? Let's dim the lights
1: and get frisky. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Vandalay Industries, the number one importer exporter in the world. Vandalay Industries. (laughs) Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is the show where uh, we do a podcast every week if you didn't know about movies and we like to break and analyze them and see why they work if they work how they maybe could have worked better or why they're brilliant in the first place which is usually the tact we go towards is finding the things that work for us and uh, sometimes you know things don't work and that's always very illuminative Uh, as artists you know I think we're always thinking about how to get better how to refine our skill sets and every week man I I go through this same process, Uh, it wasn't as bad this week, but, or in some ways it was worse, that I get nervous before I do anything, like, creative in this show, despite what it may look like, is a creative endeavor, you know, to some limited degree, um, even though it's heavily focused on analysis and just kind of pop culture opinion, but I still get nervous because every time I'm going to create something, I feel underprepared and so it's not until i have everything all my ducks in a row i have my notes um i know exactly what i want to do and how i'm going to do it now to for this show because it usually runs about an hour there's only there's a limit to that like i have a general outline of things i want to hit on but we have a nice organized playlist so to speak uh, of you know the show programming and what we're going to talk about first and second except like this sound but what we're talking about right now is not a part of the thing uh we could easily add it in i guess but i never feel if i'm going into a film or if i'm going into a performance i never feel uh i feel jittery i feel nervous until i've gone through it about a thousand times either in my head or on paper I have a some kind of way to organize my thoughts. And then I kind of get this sigh of relief, like, okay, I can fully visualize exactly what's about to happen. And I no longer feel like a, like a madman, um, or a fraud or a fake that's about to, you know, completely fall on his face in front of everybody. And so I, I wonder about you though, in in the sense of you for years ran your own band and, I know what it's like as a filmmaker walking onto a set with my shot list and my script and how I'm going to get everybody on the same page. You were the front man for, I don't know, give or take five or 10 years. Um, And you would go on tours, you would do shows. What was that process? Was there anxiety beforehand? Uh, What was your experience getting ready
0: for shows? Yeah, I was nervous still, like even playing guitar around my wife, I get nervous, always nervous. Always. Are you always. kidding? No, not kidding. I just, I don't know why when I was like really quiet and reserved as a kid. So when I started playing music, everybody was really surprised. It was like, <laughs> it was very weird um, for them to see me in that position. And it was weird for me too. Um, I think I just did it because it was scary and it just felt good to like be scared but and I always thought maybe the next show it'll kind of go away or I'll be a little bit more comfortable. And I never have gotten comfortable with it. It's always I mean, I think that after like the first after the first song, you you know if what the night's going to be like, right? You, unless you have, you know, like a thousand screaming fans the moment you walk out, which i have had that before you don't really know how the night's going to go until after the response of the opening song. And so it's always you're always nervous that you're just going to get it wrong off the bat, like right at the very beginning, right? It's one thing if you kill it for for half of whatever you're doing, whether it's acting or directing, you're killing it, you're killing it and then you make a mistake. Well, yeah, but you've been killing it half the time, right? Everybody makes mistakes. It's another thing if you shit the bed, the very beginning, you know, and, then, and that's the time where you're most nervous is at the very beginning.
1: So what does that look like for you? Like if you step on stage and you, you drop the ball, what does that practically
0: look like from
1: my perspective and your perspective as an audience member?
0: Well, from, from your perspective as an audience member, you might feel a little... The worst thing that it, that you could feel to me is nervous for me,
1: right? Mm, yeah. If it's
0: if it's if it's an entertaining thing, if it then that's okay. If it's like like there was um, uh, the other day, I saw it again on on YouTube. Um, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan used to be a huge idol of mine. He pl- he was playing Austin City Limits, and he breaks a string. You've probably seen this. Um, he breaks a string in the middle of playing, right? And he keeps playing on until there's a break, right? And he's still singing, but as he's singing, he starts taking his guitar off calmly, hands it to the tech, the tech hands him another guitar. And the moment he hands it to him, he, Stevie plugs it in and starts playing without the strap on. He's just holding it tight and playing while his tech is putting, is hooking the strap onto the guitar. (laughs) That's entertaining, right? I'm not nervous for Stevie Ray Vaughan. The guy Mm. is just incredible. That's entertainment. Stuff goes wrong, right? So, so a good example would be like at the beginning of a show, my amp blowing, which has happened before. Uh, Or uh, a a cable going bad, which is literally the worst thing that could happen because you have cables everywhere and you don't know which one it is. So you're just unplugging shit left and right. Like, oh, is it a patch cable on my pedal board? Is it my cable to the to the board, to the amp? Uh, Like what is happening? And you have to figure it out and fly. And luckily, that's happened enough to where I know just straight into the amp. Boom, you know, and then but that stuff goes wrong. And when it goes wrong at the beginning of the night, you're like, oh gosh, okay, I got an uphill battle all the way now, you know? And then I was always nervous about my voice. Like, you know, there's so many rock singers who can just perform and they're just amazing, right? All the time. And I was never like that. I was always like, I cannot drink before a show because the first thing that goes is my voice. I can't, and I learned that the hard way a lot. So I had to be very protective. Like the night before I had to get some sleep. Like it was very stressful stressful. Um, so yeah, I was always nervous, but I think I put that on myself one because I held, I've always hold myself to like a high really high standard, which is good. But then also like I would, I would write music and tracks that would take my voice to the literal limit and all the time, you know, and it wasn't, it was just cause I liked singing that register, but it wasn't cause it was easy. It was really hard. And so it was like, oh, here comes that high B. Am I going to hit that? I don't know. <laughs> nope. Didn't hit that tonight. <laughs> really? There would be times when you'd Maybe miss tomorrow. it. Oh, dude. Yeah. All the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing. Like, you got to... I think everybody notices, right? But I think it's... As long as you perform the shit out of it, then it's, it's kind of accepted. It's like a... It's like... Oh it, well, it's like the where did the T Rex come from mm. uh, in Jurassic Park? You know, what what was it? Camera was it? left, yeah. The camera left, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you know, you just kind of ignore the little faux pas that happens. Yeah. right? Maybe sometimes, if if you make the rest of the show that good. Yeah. If you're emotionally so anyway, to engaged answer your question, invested, long. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So, so. I, always, still to this day, I'm nervous. So. Huh. Well, yeah. so you're not alone. You're not alone. Apparently not. I think not. that all of us, all of us have some kind of, some kind of like, like, what is it? What's the term now? It's like imposter syndrome. Me. Thank you. Yeah, imposter yeah. syndrome. Uh, all of us. And if you say that you don't, tell me how, <laughs> cause, uh, uh, or you're uh, a little too pompous maybe, you know, like maybe take a look at yourself cause there's a hundred thousand people that are probably better at you and whatever you think that you're the best at.
1: Totally. So. No. Like I've been. I've started finally watching uh, The Last Dance that you recommended and I was, I'm on episode three right now and there's this clip and it's a historically famous clip of, you know, Jordan dunking on someone. And he's got his tongue out and while he's doing it, that's like showboaty stuff. But what really I started thinking about that of this guy is dunking over somebody with his tongue out. That's a very conscious decision. That's not something that, you know, generally happens by accident. And there's a number of places that you have to get to to get to that place. Um, and it's such a le- level of uh, comfort because on the one hand, you might look at it and say you should be focused. Um, and I don't think there's a human alive that's going to sit here and say Michael Jordan wasn't the most focused, you know, basketball player on the court. Uh, at, if he was on, if he was logged in, you know, it's it's game time, 110 um, percent. And so if you spend enough time in that space, of, you know, there's this phrase of where, you know, as an athlete, you might say, man, did you see that guy in the fourth quarter? He was unconscious. That means you're not in your head, right? You're just so in the zone. You're so focused, um, that things are just kind of happening and with this high level of intensity. And I think if you spend enough time in that, in that space, um, with that level of intensity, uh, you become comfortable with it enough that you become aware of what you're doing. You're not unconscious anymore. Uh, you're in the zone and loose at the same time and i feel like that's where he got to uh, he got to this place where he was so focused and so comfortable being that level of focus that he could do uh silly things on the fly like windmilling and 360 dunks in the game whereas in, i love basketball and i played growing up i never got to that point i was always so 110 percent that i never blinked like until i you know checked out of the game and whenever you get to that point i think I don't know if I'll ever get to this point. I feel like I'm going to forever be in the imposter syndrome until, uh, like you said, you know, once you have a a few good days or a few good sets, then it's just like, okay, the first half of my set has been going well. I can kind of, you know, enjoy a mistake and it's not going to throw my game off uh, as opposed to coming right out of the gate. That mistake happens and maybe imposter syndrome or anxiety takes over and, uh, you have the audience you know on their heels in a bad way because like you said that was such a beautiful point that you made uh you don't want the audience feeling uh uh, anxiety anxiety for you like you want them to to you know feel loose and relaxed um and if they feel tense then no one's gonna have a good time yeah because now they're i think they're parenting you
0: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and like they don't they're not coming to see me to feel bad for me. You know, like I, like they, they're trying to ha- like, you know, they had bad things that happen that during the day and they want to like let loose. But I think the, the biggest thing is the, the ability to, to embrace your mistakes, meaning like to forget about them quickly. Mm. Right. Um, and I don't, I'm not even just talking about me in general, because you bring up Michael Jordan, like the, the amazing thing, okay. If I'm performing, or if you're on set, I think the moment we know that we know more than everybody there is the moment that we calm down, hmm. right? And so, if you think about that, then that's really dependent upon what everybody else knows. Then your your comfort level is dependent upon what everybody else knows, and that's never a good thing. It's never a good thing to have, right? So when I used to when I would realize that and still now, like when I realize that I say, okay, well, I'm just going to act like I know more than everyone else. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it right. I'm just going to work. Like I know what I'm doing more than you do. Because when I do that, I do it from a lax point of view where I don't care what you think, because you don't know what I know. Right. And in a way that's true in a way, there's always something that I'm going to know that you're not going to know. It might be right or wrong, whatever. It's not the point, but it helps me calm down in whatever it is I'm doing, whether that's music or film or whatever totally. or this, you know, like there are a hundred thousand other people more qualified to be on this podcast with you than me. <laughs> hundred thousand other people. Ditto. But nobody has my outlook on On things the way that I have it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I am bringing something to this. Yeah. And and so so that makes me calm down and I'm chill. You know what I mean? So it's I would have to remind myself of that when I would think about it. I wouldn't always think about it before a show because my head was just like all over the place, you know, but when I did think about it, it did help me calm down a whole lot and it helped me perform better. Because it gave me, gave me confidence in myself, and I think that that's probably what Jordan had and has. Is just like, like, yeah, I might have a bad night, but I'm not. But I'm going to be better tomorrow night. What? So what? You know, like it just doesn't care. It just embraces the fact you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to screw up, whatever, and then you know he'd come back and demolish you the next night. You know. Um, and obviously, you have to have some kind of skill to be able to do, to do that, especially a Will like he did. But yeah, um, yeah good question. Let us down a rabbit hole there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, speaking are of... We talk about movies on this podcast, yeah, right? Speaking of uh, the 97 <laughs> Bulls, what
1: 1997 movie are we going to be doing today? Ooh, Segway.
0: Ooh, look at that.
1: Is that why you picked this? Seamless, no. Completely not. No? <laughs>
0: Well, should have been. Happy coincidence. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be covering, uh, we're going to be talking about Love Jones today uh, and all the good things that come along with it. Uh, What do you got? So, yeah, we're going to
1: talk about a few things, some of the acting and adding subtext through performances, um, story and writing, how a romance creates tension and why sex scenes are great storytelling tools um, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And did you notice there was no cinematography
0: on the list? <laughs> I noticed. I noticed. We're going to get to that, though. I'll get to that. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you haven't seen Love, Jones, pause this episode. Go watch it. There's going to be spoilers. We're going to be talking about all, the, all the, good, the good the good little diddlies in it. And if you hear kids in the, in the background laughing, it's because they're still awake and it's 10 o'clock. And we're doing this from home. What are you going to do? Uh, synopsis of the film. Darius, a writer, and Nina, a photographer, discover the... Complications of turning a casual relationship into something more in 1997 Chicago, written and directed by Theodore Witcher, Uh, cinematography by Ernest Holzman, starring Nia Long as Nina Mosley, Lorenz Tate as Darius Lovehall, Isaiah Washington as Sivan, Bill Bellamy as Hollywood, Lisa Nicole Carson as Josie, and Bernadette Speaks as Sheila. What? What I work with i work with her, okay. Dara, she isn't my girlfriend or anything. I, I work with her. Mm. All right. What? Oh, man, you know what? When you married. What are you, the fucking moral majority no, now? No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, Troy's a good woman. Wait, 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 if my memory serves me correctly, you were the one that told me not to get married. In fact, all of y'all told me not to get
1: married. Who? I said that? Yeah, you. you saying, who you? I did say that, but I also said the Commodos would get back together.
0: I mean, who knew, man?
1: Look, man, let me tell you something. People grow apart, right? People change. But see, you wouldn't know anything about that. What you talking about? No, you wouldn't know anything yes, I about
0: would. that. No, you wouldn't, Darius, because the last relationship you've been in that lasted longer than six months, my father was, was, um, was never. Are you
1: kidding? Felicia. Felicia, ne- Felicia. But- yes, Felicia. All right,
0: Felicia. So, I maintain. With your wife. You advise me on I'm saying it's just it. All y'all running around here, jumping and hopping, skipping, diving, falling in love and shit. Falling in love ain't shit. Somebody talk to me, please, about how to stay there. Do I love my wife? Hell yes. Is she here? Hell no. All right, man. All right. As far as I'm concerned,
1: all of y'all can step. Think you need a hug nice so of the two of us I'm pretty sure you have not seen this before this is your first no uh, I I've not pretty seen. pretty confident before. on that um, yeah so I am like very curious because for me I saw this uh, not when it came out but a couple years like I think I saw it in 99 um, so it was like two years a year and a half two years after it came out um, before I you know came across it and So for me, uh, there's a high probable nostalgia factor, um, that comes with, comes with it as opposed to someone like you watching it for the first time, 23 years, you know, after it was made, I don't know if it holds up, you know, to a new audience member or not. Um, so I am really curious, like if this was something that, you know, you enjoyed or if it was a mixed bag or, or whatnot. So how did it go for you?
0: (laughs) Uh... Well, man, it is a mixed bag for me. I feel like so. Let me start with the 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 good, the good about it. The good was I felt like the cinematography was really good because I didn't notice it, mm. right? Yeah. And in 1997, I would know like. There's a lot that Show can me go another wrong. movie in 1997 yeah. <laughs> where it didn't like it, that movie looked like it was sh- like it, it could have been shot now. Yeah. really like if they made this movie now you would want it to be shot like that like there were you know I think maybe some of the editing could have been a little a little bit better but I can't even tell you why but I feel like the cinematography was really great for a story like that um there were a lot of close-ups when there needed to be close-ups there were a lot of mediums when when it was poignant and and you know not a ton of wides but when they were they were they were pointed like I, I felt like out of out of most of the uh, any old movies that we've that we've covered here, I feel like this cinematography wise was one of the best because I didn't really notice it. I was just in the story. And that was that was good. That was good. So and that was something that I I noticed. And I was like and I was like, man, I want to call this out that, you know, I'm expecting this to look like trash because it's 1997 and it doesn't. In fact, it looks really, really good. I feel like. I, I don't know if it was shot in film or mm. not, but it doesn't look like super grainy and, and like dirty old, like, you know, dirty for the sake of looking like film. I don't know. It, it looked very high quality. I thought the angles were really great. And it, yeah, it was good. Um, I thought I, I thought the acting was really good, too, on a lot of fronts. I mean, some more than others. But on, on to uh, Darius, I thought was was really good. I thought Nina was OK. You know, she just. There were moments, right? But I've just never been a huge fan of of her. So I just, you know, she was okay. But Darius, I thought was really, really good. Isaiah Washington was the best part of the she movie. He amazing, yeah. That clip yeah. is the best part of the movie. Thank you for playing that clip. That is the best part of the movie. Because it was the most real. If we get down to brass tacks, I thought the rest of it was... Not good. I didn't like his character at the beginning. And I know normally in a show like this, you're not supposed to. But it was like he usually, usually in a story like this, you have the main character guy who's like this player, right, who then just like, I don't know, like learns something and, in know, in a way where he has to lose something. And I, I guess he kind of does because it takes a year for them to get back together at the end. But not really. He doesn't ever really lose anything for me. And then the pursuing her, the way he pursued her like that was very aggressive, like very aggressive, scary, creepy, aggressive. And yet it works, you know, and she like lets him in to the apartment. And then she and I'm not this is not me being 2020. Todd where everybody's woke right this is this is me just like you know at any point seeing a movie like this I'd be like really you like get her address from a check she writes somebody else and then she lets you in and then you take her out and then she sleeps you on a first date like that is I mean I don't know I don't know it didn't feel like you really had to work for it you know and I guess they made it seem like maybe he did but to me, he didn't, um, and I could go through a list of, of a bunch of the stuff, but to just start there that I just did not like the story <laughs> and the way that it played out, and then um, making Isaiah Washington's character just like so small. I felt like I wanted to see more of him. I wanted more of him in there. I wanted him to like actually teach Darius something. <laughs> he doesn't really like his character is the character that's like the father character. He's been married for a long time. He and his wife have their issues, you know, and, you know, Darius tries to tell him something or whatever. He's like, no, 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 whatever. Let me tell you how it is. Like that clip is right. But then he's like, you need a hug. And then they laugh and it's over. And it's almost like Darius just blows that off. Like it doesn't even matter. And then, and then they just move on. And then we never really even see him again. Maybe one other time but then oh yeah we do see him one other time well was that before or after in the in the um at dinner in the bar where where he's makes a joke that he's falling in love with her
1: yeah no at the, yeah at the bar when
0: uh they're just grabbing some beers and discussing yeah. it yeah yeah okay so i would like have liked to see him more and i would have liked to him for him to teach darius something but i don't feel like darius really learned anything at least, well, he, I guess he kind of did at the end, but only not from, not from uh, Isaiah mm. Washington's character, from Savon, I guess is his name. So I don't know, I don't know. wasn't wasn't my favorite, uh, and it's not because of the age or anything like yeah. that. It's just, you know, I there's there's 1980 movies that I really enjoy that I really like and I could watch again. This one just was difficult to get through, and it was long. It was really long. Yeah, it's It's almost two hours.
1: Uh, yeah, it's like an hour, hour forty. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? That it? Are you sure? Uh, no, maybe not. So forty plus ten, hour fifty. Sorry. Yeah. Anyways.
0: So I'll pause I'll pause there so I can hear your take. Nice. No, I mean, I love As someone love it. who's seen this before.
1: Yeah, as someone who's seen it like a thousand times. Like, no, I love it. This is my favorite uh, romance movie uh, probably ever. One of the things I really like about it is what it's not trying to be. It's not trying to be a comedy. It's a more complex story than most... Uh, romance movies go after like normally i feel like the setups and payoffs are telegraphed right it is oh here's a a a bad boy who needs to learn you know how to love or how to how to whatever be good to people or whatever not be creepy like there's and those are storylines and other you know romance movies by the way um i'm not just saying stuff to say it but here I feel like we're instead we're kind of dropped into Chicago where we just get to see people's lives and 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 very regular people like Chicago is a very artistic town so it uh, doesn't bother me at all right that uh, he's a writer and she's a photographer and uh, they're both working. It's not like they're successful. Um, she gets a, a taste of success and, you know, he gets a book published and who knows where that goes from there. That's a fin- finicky game anyway. Um, both of them are. Um, but I so I love, you know, the the general setting and that we're we're never really spoon fed who these people are. Uh, they just we have to kind of evolve our idea of them as you know the the story progresses and as we see them make decisions because at the beginning right Darius is looking like the smoothest dude on the block and he's talking to this girl at the bar and uh, whatever he knocks her drink over and he recovers nicely though right he goes on stage uh does a poem and like kills it and now from there uh, we see him lose the upper hand uh, with, you know, the the game of attraction uh, that we're clearly starting to play. And we see him go too far. Right. We see him again in the uh, they see each other in the record store and he, you know, lays some lines down and still not working. And he goes too far like he, he gets her address and phone number off her check. And that's a hurdle. Like that's a that's a very clear hurdle that he has to go through with her at the door even like um we sit there uh at he walks up right and she sees him and we see her very strongly uh, react to that visually and it's all subtextual like i I love her performance a lot uh by contrast I think she is incredible in this film because she is constantly communicating without words like she is constantly telling us exactly how she's feeling and I think that door example is a really good one of why I am able to buy into him getting in there and him smoothing that out is because of the way she allows kind of a, uh, an emotional undertow, which gives us tension, her reaction, that initial response of like you did what you're, why are you, why are you doing here? Like, this is, This is creepy and um, that's constantly in play on her just on her face Um, and we also see her relent and there's some resolution from that tension uh, through her visual cues and how she's responding um, and him trying to warm up and acknowledge like yeah I get that this isn't normal but blah 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 because up until that point they had a kind of a chemistry going we could see that you know she was interested but she just didn't feel like the timing was right um and his persistence uh well definitely i agree creepy not something that we would advise anyone do (laughs) although i've had that happen to me a number of times to be honest where girls girls looking me up and like Lifting my name and information off of like receipts and sign in at the gym that kind of stuff Um, It's different it is the dynamic that, is completely congratulations different thing,
0: so. <laughs> yeah. that's the difference yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I'm congratulating you for that right. instead of saying oh my god you're still alive <laughs> you're, do you need a, a
1: how'd you get out you? of there <laughs> yeah. and so we see her creeped out and irritated but we also see her relax and you know kind of get won over and that is a hurdle that you know they walk through and they don't do it super super quickly uh, but I feel like they give it enough time that it becomes a winning thing instead of a creepy thing and it's not the first like i've seen this kind of moment play out in other films i mean you can go back to rocky like there's some super creepy stuff that happens in that first rocky that uh he has to win us over uh through and yeah go watch that shit and tell me it's not creepy but we still love it we still we're still rooting for him at the end of the day and so Yeah, I think throughout this entire movie and, you know, screw it, I'll just kind of keep running through my notes here. The other visual storytelling that kind of logged that under the performance stuff under visual storytelling is like during his performance. We're also watching Nina get sucked into his performance. We're already starting to buy their connection just based on how she's kind of entranced. And we really get that feeling strongly whenever we start watching Josie. Watching Nina like she's sitting there watching her and Nina's not looking back. Right. She is totally entranced. And so just, you know, letting us see how deeply into this performance she is kind of starts. Pulling us into the attraction and what's happening, and how he's having a winning moment right now, and, uh, and that's such a good performance by him on stage. And it's, and you're right. I mean, he is incredible in this film too. Like he's he's very magnetic and natural, and all the all of his plays work well. At the end of the day, I am a, an Isaiah Washington fan. Like uh, I think that guy is just so easy to watch, and um, I wish he had you know more roles and better roles. And totally agree. Some reasons for that, but. What? I don't know. I know he got fired, and I don't know all the details. And it's one of those things that, without knowing more details, it's I'm not a I'm a very gray area human being, so I don't know what all happened. But effectively, I know he was let go from Grey's Anatomy based on uh, some back and forth uh, because he was my favorite thing on Grey's Anatomy, um and one of the reasons I stopped watching the show uh, was. He used the F word um, for the, the the slur for gays oh. with one of his coworkers who was gay, uh, and so I know that created tension mm-hmm. and and ultimately the I I believe that was a, a big moment for him being let go. And I don't know if his career has you know suffered long term for that or if uh, he's recovered nicely. I don't know. I'm always rooting for people to you know get second chances and come back. And so if I ever had the chance to work with Isaiah Washington, you're damn sure I would do it. Anyway, um, moving into like story and writing, the opening thesis is pretty strongly set up, right? We have Nia uh, or Nina who's saying like love is played out like I'm not doing that shit anymore. You know, she's moving out after going through a really strange, you know, uh, engagement process that gets broken off when it sounds like her fiance just kind of disappeared. She's like, I don't know where this dude is. He just dropped me, which I've seen that kind of stuff happen. I've seen worse happen. I've seen people who are married get ghosted. Yeah. Uh, So that this whole scenario doesn't feel outlandish to me at all from a personal, you know, experience perspective, I guess. And so, and then we see Darius's uh, thesis whenever he talks about romance being gone and how, you know, people in relationships say the romance is gone. He's like, no, what they're really saying is that they've exhausted the possibilities. And so what i like about that opening clip that we played with as uh with savan and talking to to darius saying fall in love you know doing all that it's not it's nothing like talk to me about how to stay there and it's a it comes back to that question of is it about the possibilities being exhausted or is there another way to look at love is there another way to think about it and i think uh the the end resolution of that is love is something that you can't live without that's kind of what defines love i think it's not just about the possibilities it's about not being able to be without someone uh which is why he gets back i think savan gets back together with his wife uh that's just someone he can't live without and she can't live without him um and ultimately that's what nia and uh darius come to come to realize uh in very you know small ways like i don't think it's super obvious in in the the resolution but We'll get to that in a second, maybe, if I don't lose track. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love that they're not telegraphing all the setups and payoffs. Like um, at the beginning, after he does his uh, poem and they're sitting outside and Nina walks up to him and he's like, well, yeah, maybe next week you can do a poem for me. And she's like, there are other topics. And he's like, like what? And she walks up to him, grabs a pen and starts writing on his palm. We don't know what she's about to write. I think there's a light expectation that she's gonna write a phone number because that's kind of a, a meet cute thing that happens in classic stories of boy meets girl. Girl writes her number on palm uh, and instead she writes love because his poem was all about sex. She's like, yeah, sex, there's nothing wrong with sex but there's better things to talk about and love is a better thing to talk about. So we can already see her uh, relenting to her own swearing off of love. like. She's already kind of willing to think about it, even if she's not uh, going to open up that door all the way, because she doesn't give her number. And then whenever he does ask her, she says no, like she is really committed to not to swearing off love. Um, and it takes Darius coming and breaking through her door, metaphorically speaking, even though it looks almost you know literal. Uh, it's metaphorical. She, he really has to pursue, and he really has to go after her to get her to open up back to that possibility um and i think that's where a lot of the tension comes through in this film um and again we'll come back to that in a second but they don't telegraph all their setups and payoffs um at the party where savan has brought a friend quote unquote a few minutes later we're seeing him judge uh wood for bringing nina to the party right and Uh, He gets checked by Sheila when uh, because what is like, man, what is wrong with you? And Sheila looks at him like, don't you even because, you know, 30 seconds ago, Sheila was dressing him down about bringing this girl to a party. Um, And so there's this very light payoff to the idea of him going out on a limb so to speak and and bringing uh, a girl to a party uh, and it's very subtext. i don't know if i'd call it subtextual but it's layered in there without being obvious uh these there's all kinds of dynamics that are happening beneath the surface uh even though they're kind of called out they're not called out in a way that's hitting you over the head they don't hit you over the head and say, yeah, remember, Savan just brought someone to a party that he shouldn't have brought. How are you going to judge Wood for bringing someone to the party, too? And it's there's layers. There's a lot of a lot of those layers that are happening in this film. Um, if you're, you know, looking for it and if you're thinking about all the character dynamics that are happening uh, in the stories are, you know, in the in all the storyline plots. And there, what I, I think I, what I really love about this is that it's a pure romance. It's not trying to be anything else. It's not trying to be a comedy. Uh, Which is what a lot of romance films end up trying to be. Um, Even my second favorite romance film is probably Notting Hill. That's trying to be a comedy, too. And these films, I think, work best when they stick in the drama category of being a romance, because this sits right underneath the drama genre. and it lets the characters act out from their complexity instead of for a punchline. Um, and now we have to interpret where their actions are coming from. Um, we never you know, feel like we're working towards anything else other than just observing characters in their habitat. Uh, like whenever they have their breakup, we're seeing Nina react pretty viscerally and we don't like she's being an asshole uh and Darius doesn't understand why he's like uh but he kind of triggers it he's like leave me alone I'm writing um and she's like whatever and then he tries to get cute and the rule of repeats kind of starts kicking in here right he picks up his camera and he's gonna start taking cute photos of her like she did at his apartment take off your clothes and he's she's not playing that game it worked with him It's not working with her. Uh, And he's like, don't you trust me? And that setup was set up, you know, several acts before. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Not several acts, but several, you know, scenes before. And because she was like, don't you trust me? And now he's using it in the same way, but she's turning that on its head by saying, no, I don't trust you. Which kicks off this whole issue of who's calling you in the middle of the night? Whose number do you have on your, your wall? Blah, blah, blah. And so it's really well... Uh, staged with being very patient in the setups and payoffs and keeping that in the pure romance category. And so in a romance, the stakes are different because you don't have these comedy bits to kind of rely on to kind of carry you through the film. And instead it's all about your emotional investment and if it's not going to work there then the film just isn't going to work for you Uh, and for me it works uh the and generally speaking uh, a romance needs you know characters to fall in love and we fall in love with them falling in love together like that's where all the the tension comes through is by jeopardizing the relationship the heartbreak that comes through the film comes through killing the relationship and ultimately you know the the release or the the joy the catharsis comes when they get back together and that's where most films most romance films end it ends when they get back together right they fight through whatever the job separated us or the the dad who didn't like me now likes me again or or you're rebelling against the dad whatever it is and those all work fine I'm not saying those are bad you know endings or bad resolutions uh, but what I really love about this film is that they they do something that I don't know that I've seen any other film do which is they get back together you know in the second act and now we watch them together and then we watch them fall apart and then the real resolution is that they get back together again and they come to discover that you know there's there's something else that's missing and I I just really enjoy that aspect of this film because normally it is very much a a me cute oh they can't be together uh, they're going to work through it Uh, you know something happens and they 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 break up and then it's all all about getting them back together and here instead we get to see an extra layer to that process of them together actually together and why it doesn't work and seeing how that ultimately impacts uh, the decision to get back together i that's very fun to me another rule for for romance films (laughs) and this goes i think even extends into sitcoms and comedies you Want an attractive couple, right? These are two really good, and as good as Lorenz Tate is a good looking man, Nia Long to me is like my freaking idol of the 90s, man. She is gorgeous. Um, and Just so the 90s, well, yeah, fair <laughs> enough, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, right to 2020, so, yeah, like she is killing the yeah. game. Um, but you want an attractive couple, and it's important that nobody else we meet should be more attractive than they are. It's it's a difficult line to ride and if they are and that that doesn't just extend to physicality uh it it also means in personality so if we meet someone else who is uh at least as attractive as they are their personality can't be on par like they can't be as good of a person that's a really hard rule to break and there are films that break it but it takes a whole different level of uh, stakes and investment and a different attitude whereas here uh Marvin is a really good looking dude but he's also a jerk like we never like marvin uh and wood right he's a jackass he's competing for our love and for nina's attention but he's a jackass and he's also too silly to ever feel any chemistry and We never really get to know Lisa, which is, you know, who's competing for Darius's affection. And so we never get a chance to fall in love with her. Like, oh, here's this other really attractive woman. But you're never going to get to know her because we can't risk the audience wanting different people to be in love than our two main characters. Uh, That's highly important. And uh, that's normally conveyed in a physical sense. But here uh, they opted more for a personality sense. Let's make sure we don't fall in love with anyone else's personality and the way that they click together which is great and the other problem with the romance is Who's the villain like who's going to be our bad guy and normally that is going to be some kind of father figure uh or you know the best friend or some there's going to be some dynamic in there that rubs the situation wrong whether it's class um uh, which usually comes down to you know economics or if it's going to be just acceptability uh, there's a lot of different dynamics in here uh, we don't have any of that like these are equals they're in chicago they're both artists uh and so we're where does the who's the villain? Who's our bad guy? What's keeping them apart ultimately? Um, and in this case, I think it's a number of things. I think it's pride, right? Pride prevents vulnerability in human beings. Um, and in this movie, I feel like anytime someone is vulnerable, they're punished for it. Like Nina tells him when her train is leaving. Right. Um, after they break up and he has this opportunity to set things right. He finds out when the train is leaving uh, and he doesn't show. And that's the first time whenever she's going to New York, he doesn't even try. He's trying to play it cool. Right. That's the game. I think that's the other villain is playing the game. You know, she says, I'll call him tomorrow whenever I don't have to call him tonight. And of course, she waits too long. She sees him with another girl. And that adds a whole different wrinkle in in the game. And then in the second uh, act, whenever she leaves for good, Josie calls him up on the phone is like, hey, I just thought you should know she's about to leave for New York and if you want to do anything about it, here's the train. And he waits and waits and he's trying to play the game and act like he doesn't care. He waits too long, misses the train, and ultimately it costs him uh, something that he obviously wanted because you see him flying through the train station uh, and it's reckless. Like he's on his bike, weaving in and out of traffic, like that's a completely reckless, reckless scenario that I think kind of visually communicates his level of desire uh, in a simple and uh, yet effective way. And I think that goes back to this is a movie in in, in 1997. There are things that happen in movies in 97 that we've covered recently that uh, we don't appreciate as much anymore, like running in the rain, that kind of stuff like that doesn't play as well in 2020. Uh, But nostalgia points. I'm okay with it. Like, again, it comes back to I'm used to this movie. And I think another villain in, in these kinds of films, uh, romance films, is jealousy, insecurity. Uh, that's ultimately what's going to drive a wedge between, you know, a, a relationship. You know, love can't really thrive when there's insecurity or jealousy. Uh, and that ultimately was what is the nail in the coffin in their their first real committed uh, go round. And ultimately, you know, something that they have to give space and time to before they're able to kind of circle back and say, I don't, I don't care. I'm willing to deal with it, whatever may come. But I, I enjoy some of the, a lot of the conversations uh, in this film specifically. I love that, you know, there's a mixed reaction of, honesty because normally they're going to be more honest with their friends but not each other and even not until you know things boil over like (laughs) they don't want and this is I feel like such a truism in relationships generally speaking that people don't want to communicate until they're already had the last straw break the camel's back no one wants to communicate ahead of time to get ahead of the situation and I think that plays out perfectly in this film like she doesn't say anything until you know she's ready to snap Um, and he doesn't uh ever give a give her an opportunity until you know it's too late and i i feel like there's just so many great moments that that plays out even whenever he's walking her home after wood abandons her at the party and she's trying to walk home he walks out and he's like let me just call a cab and they literally wait until the cab pulls up before they start arguing like they're just sitting there steaming you know seething in silence um until you know the cat pulls up and it's like they need to wait until there's an exit before you really start going at it. Uh, and I feel like that happens all the time in uh, medical films. or uh, You kind of call that the doorknob moment where uh, the patient is waiting until they get to the doorknob before they actually tell you why they're there. Um, and in this film, they wait until uh, it's just a hair too late before they explode and uh, let all the things kind of come to the surface in the worst way possible. Um, but generally speaking, there's a lot of complex emotions that are happening uh, that I really respect because I think it's easy to kind of telegraph why someone's upset or, you know, have these kind of easy moments. But here there's a very human moment when she sees him, she's in the bookstore, she looks out the window and sees him walking down the street with some other girl. And it I love that she is so upset and she's heartbroken because She literally just left New York after having been with her ex and she has the audacity to be upset with him and she knows this. But that's human nature. Uh, it's much more complex than just saying, yeah, logically speaking, yeah, I was just with someone, but I told you about him. And so I had a right to be with him because I was upfront and honest about it. You had no right to be with her because you were never upfront and honest with me. And she's not able to really get over it until they have that that explosion right then and there. And e- eventually, you know, they're able to, you know, later on, not very long after that kind of Uh, make amends and say yeah okay it's fine now like I think we just all need these cathartic moments uh, whenever you've been having this you know battle in your head uh, with whoever you know you're dating or uh, friendship whatever it is you kind of need to have those moments of I just need to air it (laughs) and then I can get over it and I can move beyond it Uh, and I feel like that's all kind of in there it's laid in there without ever feeling telegraphed in i don't know untrue i always feel like the moments in here are very honest um even if the writing isn't in the dialogue isn't necessarily like perfect the actors do such a great job with delivering it that it feels honest and it feels uh it plays really well right off the uh off the, off the performance with the rule of repeats i I mentioned the other one, the other one that I really loved in this uh, was very subtle. Again, uh, Darius does a poem at the beginning of the film about sex, and she approaches him outside and she suggests a poem about love. And that's where it ends. Like he gets no progress after his, you know, poem that gets him nowhere. Whereas at the end of the film, she does a poem and she's vulnerable. It's my favorite thing. I'll link y'all in uh, at the end of the episode. I'll I'll plug myself because why not? I haven't been plugging shorts lately, but I love how vulnerable she is on stage. And, you know, it's, it's very endearing. And I, for me, it completely sells the, the need for them to be together because she left and she, uh, she left New York. She came back and she took this one opportunity of being back to, to, you know, perform a, a piece from her heart. And she leaves. She has no expectation that there's anything there. And the inverse of what happened at the beginning happens where he approaches her now outside after her performance and she gets exactly what she wants. Uh, there was vulnerability with her discussion about love. There's no real vulnerability in your discussion about sex. It's too superficial. And what she's wanting is something uh, much more profound, uh, which is love. And I, yeah, I, I, that completely wins me over. Even though I will say, in this, you know, I was I was su- uh, surprised that I don't know if you noticed it or not. Um, but the one thing, being a filmmaker now, watching this, you know, twenty years after the fact, that breaks my heart about this about the ending, is they're in the rain and it's ADR. It's voice. It's dubbed. Uh, oh, I noticed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and not very well.
1: Either. No, yeah, it's not, it doesn't work. I think if you don't know about it, you're fine. Um, you're so emotionally caught up, but
0: it's, it, yeah. I don't know how you don't know about it. I mean, maybe the same people that don't recognize the motion setting on their new <laughs> HD TVs that they buy don't notice. But those people, you you got to get your eyes checked. Yeah. It sucks because it's such a great moment and
1: it's hard for me to get sucked into that moment because of the ADR. And it's one of those things where it's hard, man. It's raining. Like, I understand the need for, you know, having this dramatic moment take place outside in the rain. There's a there's a sense of cleansing. Rain is very uh, emblematic of a cleansing and a a renewal and life affirmation that's happening, taking place with the relationship. Um, And so I understand the need for it but it's really incredibly difficult to capture good audio with that. And I'm probably the kind of person that if I ADR, yard, uh, which stands for automated dialogue replacement, it's also called looping. It's where you'll put the actor back in the booth. They'll hear themselves and they'll try to retime their performance in sync, capturing clean audio with the original recorded audio so that you get the same performance and which it never works. Like, I'm sure there's really great ADR out there, and it's great because I don't know it's there. But generally, one of the things—just a tip for anybody who has to do this—stop doing it where you're putting your actor right back up on the microphone. It's not natural. You don't freaking do that. You don't shoot the scene that way. Don't do your ADR that way. Record don't the go ADR into a vocal booth at and all. Do it. Go outside. Go outside. outside. On a, And get the same kind of mic. Yep. (laughs) Well, maybe not on the rainy day, but uh, at, at a minimum, get the same mic, give them a set of headphones. You can loop the dialogue on a laptop and have that portable. And then take them outside, get the same mic, put it the same distance from them. And now you're getting clean audio that sounds Sonically correct to the scene that you recorded it in and under the circumstances Uh, Because whenever you're recording a scene and you're up on the mic like this, it's gonna sound fake It's not gonna sound right and that just drives me nuts and it's not this movie isn't the worst offender I've seen tons of a-list and uh, Nominated films that do this crap and it drives me nuts. I don't know why you do it. I think it's because uh, there's probably you know, just easier to to drop into a sound session and and just knock it out. But stop it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but when you're spending millions of dollars, take right. an extra day. Yeah. Do it right. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And so, anyway, I also love the uh, going into the nudity, the sex scene. I yeah, I sure love. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> Touche. Um, what I what I love about it is I don't think people understand that it's not just gratuitous. It cements our connection with their connection, with their romance. It's creating emotional investment and makes us care about them being together. We're buying into their chemistry and into their destiny um, or their need to be together. Despite whoever else comes into the picture, we will never see anybody else together the way we're going to see them together. And if you do, that's a whole different Kit and caboodle like you have a different you know ball of spaghetti that you have to untangle and so it's not just there for you know oh sex sells which it does that's i'm not saying that's a bad marketing tactic have an R rated and nudity as a, uh, another way I've seen a lot of people sell films, even indie filmmakers. Like, uh, if we can get that, you know, that's going to move numbers, maybe not as much. I don't know how that impacts everything in 2020, as opposed to the nineties and the two thousands and even the, 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 early 2010s, whatever you call this decade, uh, the 20 teens, um, I'm sure it still helps. I'm sure it's still, you know, depending on certain, you know, the situation, but. It is also can be very, very useful to create an emotional connection with the audience and with those characters and to get emotional buy in. Um, Otherwise, you might it's easier to have someone else come between them and say, yeah, I like that guy more. Uh, Just taking that whatever, 60 seconds of sex. Uh, And what's funny is shooting that. And I'm sure people have heard this by now. uh, It's not as glamorous as you think in a number of ways. I remember hearing an interview where Nia Long and Lorenz Tate were talking and uh, Lorenz Tate was like, yeah, she was drunk. She was like, I was not drunk, but she had drinks. Like She had some drinks before she went on set Uh, because as a woman, like you're nude on set, even though you're supposed to close the set down, where ideally the only people on set are absolute bare necessity. You have your sound man, you have your camera operator, and hopefully... Anybody beyond that is absolutely crucial, maybe a focus puller and maybe the director, even the director might step out of the scene and uh, watch from the monitor, depending on the scene and what the choreography is, blah, blah, blah. But on top of that, what what I found really hilarious is that Nia Long apparently had a one nipple contract. <laughs> like in her in her contract, there was a, a clause saying that they could only show one nipple at a, at a time on screen in the edit. And so she had to. She's like, it was the most embarrassing thing in the world. Like she had to sit in a room reviewing footage to make sure they only ever used the footage that had one nipple at a time. Um, and it's hilarious uh, and completely unromantic after the fact for sure and probably in the middle of the scene you know you're you're choreographing all these moves. The lighting is in a specific way. The camera movement movement has to be a specific way. And so it all just gets into this uh, very robotic thing. And I've done kind of romantic scenes before. And I get the gist. Like I haven't had to do a sex scene. But I've done sexier scenes. And it's it's unromantic. There's nothing like particularly sexy about it. it you're just trying to, do I look good on camera? Do I look silly or do I look stupid? Um, and hopefully you have people on set that will help you with that. And be honest, because once it's shot, it's shot. You can't do anything else. Um, so it takes people that you that feel comfortable telling you, hey, do this instead of that. You're going to look better on camera. I remember being on set with Bruce Willis uh, on a uh, Robert Rodriguez film. And Bruce kept checking he was doing an action sequence and he kept checking like like this. And he was kind of keep repeating this moment because he was going to have to do kind of this. Cartwheel motion and firing his gun at the same time, and he wouldn't be doing the actual cartwheel. But he, in the edit, he knew this is going to set up the the shot of the stunt man doing this, you know, stunt stunt move. And so he kept checking with uh, uh, Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez, saying, "Like this, does this work? Like this, my movement? Like?" And so it takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of honesty to understand what you're trying to accomplish, and having people there that will give you the feedback that you need, so that you know we're all on the same team here yeah anyway so that's my general overview i guess i mean i really do love this movie it it still works for me there's movies that i've watched after you know 10 years now i watch this probably every one or two years uh pretty consistently uh, and so maybe it's just never had the time to go stay old for me <laughs> <laughs> and i love the music i love that there's jazz and yeah. there's uh yeah. Dion ferris uh hopeless is a great track this made me fall in love with Duke, Duke Ellington all over again. I grew up playing jazz band, and so I, I knew Duke Ellington, I, you know, before. It didn't introduce me, but uh, it made me fall in love with it all over again. It's just great, great Charlie soundtrack. Parker. Charlie Parker, my God. Uh, such great music, and uh, it frustrates me. I debated reaching out to uh, the writer-director, Theodore Witcher, to, to get on the podcast. I wasn't sure what your reaction was going to be, and I didn't want to pull him into a... Uh, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, an explosive yeah. situation. I thought it was well directed. Yeah, no, it's it's a well made film for sure. Uh yeah. and but the story isn't for everybody, and that's fine. Like again, yeah. this is a twenty some odd year old movie, and things that played as well in the moment back then probably don't play as well today, and that's
0: okay. Yeah, I but, would I would I would imagine that he probably has critiques, probably has more critiques of his of this film uh twenty years later than you do right now <laughs> that might be true you know? yeah yeah you know? <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i my, my biggest critique of the entire thing was i don't f- i i just w- did not relate at all in any way shape or form with darius not not at all not from the very beginning not in the middle not in the end I, it just felt like there were moments where he felt like man you know i i i do love her but i don't want to tell you know like where he was torn yeah but then they passed. They were very fleeting. They weren't they, they didn't cement themselves into his, his the essence of his character, and not from from a lack of acting on his part. Like I said, he was a fantastic actor is more is more like he just I just didn't identify with him. you know, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it, it was a, it, a, with him as the character with with his character. Yeah, it just came way too easy for him just because he doesn't just because he doesn't you know get her number that first night doesn't mean that it's like he's earned it I mean like literally they go on one date and then he forces his way in he keeps asking doesn't force the way in he just keeps asking and keeps asking and it's that's just not me um and so I don't relate to that character so I don't even care like I personally was not invested in them staying, getting together or staying together at all because I didn't relate to him as a Mm. character. And that's not, that's not even necessarily a fault of the writing because there's probably plenty other people who do relate to that. I mean, maybe you're one of them and not that you would do that. That's not what I'm saying, but you can relate to that. And I just couldn't find the ability to do that. And so because of that, it just never set up their relationship on any kind of plane for me as a viewer that. That I was invested in. So when they were apart, I was like, okay, something's going to happen. What's going to happen? And I was more interested in what was going to happen while they were apart than what was happening while they were together. Hmm. And that's never... I mean, I don't like stories like that, which is why I usually don't like romance films, because I feel like a lot of times they lean on that. They lean on they're not together. So yep. we're going to throw in a, another woman. We're going to throw in another man or they're going to miss each other train station or whatever. And I hate that stuff. Like, I want to see the nitty gritty of what happens when you're together. And I guess you do. You do get a little of that. And you bring that up really nicely in that last fight that they have about Lisa, when he's like, I told you this a million times. Well, if you told her that, why do you still have a post-it note with her number on the wall? Why are you answering calls from her at five o'clock in the morning and not being sympathetic to the fact that she's upset about that? That doesn't make any sense. That's the same Darius Mm -hmm. at the beginning, from the beginning of the film to me, who is just like all about sex and, and, and about getting the girl and not about Love, which is what he like, you know. He talks about at the beginning when he's talking to Savon and every mm. and Hollywood and everybody, and he's talking about exhausted the possibility. Right? It's like you can't be woke and and say those things and not do them as a character in a film. Like it just doesn't make it doesn't jive. Right? Uh, I felt like, and I don't even know his name, but who is the who is their friend with the hat? Oh, Eddie. Eddie. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I liked Eddie. Yeah. I felt like Eddie was, was, was calm and chill, man. I identified with Eddie and with, uh, obviously with Isaiah cause I'm married and I have kids and stuff. Right. Right. But you know, he, he's not perfect and their relationship isn't perfect, but he had a really good point. Like, don't come at me with your advice about how to deal with my relationship when you can't even stay in one for six months. Like, yeah. All right. So they learn something. He tries to teach him something. All right, cool. Uh, anyway, but, you know, I, do, I, the cinematography was good and I felt like the directing was good and the acting was good. Yeah. So, I mean, what else do you, you know, <laughs> what else do you need? <laughs> uh, it just wasn't my, my cup of tea. Yeah. You know? Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Well, then
1: on that note, let me think if there was anything else I wanted. Mm. No, if I did, it's gone. You seem like you have something else. No, well,
0: uh, yeah, I don't think so. Um, No? Okay. So what are you going to recommend this week? So I wanted to to stick with the, uh, with a black theme. Nice. Um, And there's, there were so many movies, but the one that came to my head that I just really love and I haven't seen in a while that I want to watch again, and it's, maybe you could kind of call it a cop out. I don't know, maybe not, but is I Am Legend. Oh. Um because nice. I haven't I haven't seen this so long and it's so good. And you don't there's not a bunch of white people in it. <laughs> and, and you know, it's not like like cluttered and, and everything. It's just like Will Smith, you know, just trying to survive mm. in a in a way. And it's just it's I really enjoy it. A, um, a lot there's twists and turns you don't know what's going to happen and uh, as with any kind of like apocalypse end the end of the world zombie film kind of thing maybe or whatever but but yeah yeah and i, I just loved will smith i've always loved will smith he hasn't yeah. he hasn't always picked the best movies to do but you know whenever he does whatever he's in it's enjoyable to say yeah. the least you know
1: yeah no always enjoy spending time with him yeah Nice, I'm gonna recommend Lovecraft Country. Uh, It's a new show on HBO, and so far they've only premiered one episode, and so I watched it, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, It was kind of an up and down episode. Like, there were really great moments, and then there were kind of drier moments uh, that I was just kind of slipping away. But I think the moments where it's hitting, are more than are very promising like i think it's shaping up to be something that is going to be one of these hallmark shows uh you know in the next two three years where people are like had uh you know standing around talking about it on at the water cooler and so i don't know where it's going to go from this first episode if you're watching listening to this this is probably now aired you know three or four episodes but i'm going to go on a limb and say y'all need to watch that show Um, if you enjoy a mixture of sci-fi and horror uh, I think it's doing some really cool stuff if you're familiar at all even remotely with HP Lovecraft then you'll kind of have some semblance of idea of where this thing is headed and so yeah go check that out it's on HBO and it, for the short spotlight, I am plugging me, apparently. Uh, so yeah, I took it. that that final poem that Nina says on stage. I, I took that audio and I kind of made a, a video around it where I had this client video that I shot that was about some camera straps actually. And I, I shot that and I overshot it so that I could make some, something else with the footage because I was having so much fun with my model, Audrey. Um, and she's just so great to, to shoot. And so I shot some extra footage that I thought came out beautiful. Um, and so I kind of recut, the, the the client video into my own little art video, um, and added some music and so yeah I'll I'll post that it doesn't really have a title um, I guess uh, I am remembering is the is the title of it and so check that on the show notes and stay tuned next week we are going to take on Michael Mann's Miami Vice. Again, that's the Michael Mann version, the movie, not the the TV show. I'm sorry. There's zero chance I'm going to sit through the TV show. (laughs) (laughs) But you can check out uh, Miami Vice. It's probably streaming. I forgot to look it up. Um, But shout out! This was requested by uh, our buddy on YouTube, Hawaiian Prestige Cars. (laughs) Like, I don't know if I'm giving a user shout out or a a business some like free advertising. But, (laughs) but man, I hope you're still listening to the show, and I'll make sure. I'll tag you in our conversation uh, so that you can come, come and check out that episode. And don't forget to subscribe, drop us a review on iTunes uh, and leave us know if there's something you want us to talk about, or if you want to drop in to love Jones and tell Todd, why he got it wrong, why he's the worst uh, <laughs> or, yeah,
0: or, for or
1: by contrast, why I'm the best. <laughs> like you can you're, you're free to do either one of those and only one of those. <laughs> <laughs> either or both at the same time. Yeah. And you can, Check that out at the dot com slash lovejones. And if you're Theodore Witcher, I, I'm, I'm debating if I'm going to tag him on this, and hope that he doesn't listen. I, that would embarrass me more than anything. Uh, is him coming back and saying, "Dude, you're right." Because like, I don't know. He's like that. Someone why, I look I up to. I don't like his film. Well, what's no, no, no. Uh, I think just because I'm analyzing it, and he's gonna. Huh. Like say, no, you're, you're, see, you bat. got dude imposter syndrome, you got imposter syndrome at hundred, bro. But what, dude, what yeah. bothers me most about Theodore Witcher is that he never got another opportunity to write and direct. And I'll link to an article about that. Oh. Um, because for 1997 coming out with this and it's had an enduring appeal, like the black community, you know, generally, I don't know anyone who doesn't love, love Jones, but This is such a great film and there's so few amazing uh, black romance films of this caliber, you know, that it's really upsetting that he never got another film. And uh, I'll link an article that was written, I want to say last year, where they actually discussed that. Um, And he he weighs in. But I promise if I ever had, you know, uh, a million dollars to throw at a project, he's going to be my very first phone call. Like, hey, man, if you got any scripts that you're dying to do, I would freaking love to to bankroll you. Uh, Not that I'll ever have that kind of money, but, you know, eh, we'll see. (laughs) Maybe one day. Come on,
0: man. Uh, Don't talk yourself out. Of it. Fair enough. You never know. Um, but yeah,
1: so that's that's kind of the worst thing that came out of this film is uh the lack of more yeah. uh work from from such an incredible writer director. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. And so yeah, if any of y'all want to comment, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash lovejones.
0: And our quote of the day is from Bernard George Bernard Shaw. There are two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire, the other is to gain it. Why'd you pick
1: that? I feel like that kind of sums up, uh, Darius's issue in a nutshell, like it's, it's easy to want something and you know, that's, it sucks to not have it. And then you finally get it you, and you no longer really want it. You take it for granted. Uh, there was this thing my brother said to me a long time ago where he said, uh, familiarity breeds contempt and I chewed on that I've been chewing on that for the last 20 years um and it's so true like uh we idolize things that we don't know and then when we do get to know them we see all the flaws the cracks and the paint uh and suddenly it's not as beautiful it's not as attractive and I think that just happens all the time in a million different ways you you wish for something uh, and when you get it you stop appreciating it uh, and so the things that you end up appreciating the most are often the things you had to work hardest for and if it, easy come easy go and so yeah i just love that idea of it's that in a nutshell like darius wanted something he got it and he treated it like uh, uh, less than the way he actually valued it um, and that came down to a number of things pride, ego, uh, and just, uh, insecurity on it. You know, uh, if you're insecure, you can't be vulnerable. And so it's not just, you know, a matter of pride. Um, because I feel like I, one of the, my favorite lessons I ever heard was pride is just the lid on the trash can of insecurity. Like, underneath all that pride is the 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 fear the anxiety of being vulnerable and of being laid bare uh and underneath that of course is the insecurity that you're going to find out you're not good enough that you're not lovable um and i feel like that's buried deep in and i don't i don't think this film touches on that but i if i were to psychoanalyze darius i would say that's ultimately where his issue is stemming from and maybe it was maybe he had to write his book before he finally felt uh you know the ability to be vulnerable, because I feel like that was his vulnerability was writing his book for her, like that's that's vulnerable territory. Like <laughs> you just, mm-hmm. that's all in ink. You're not taking any of that back. Um, yeah, yeah. But I I love that concept.
0: Yeah, I I think what I see in this, because I, I don't want to just be disagreeable. Sure. On, yeah, yeah, On everything. No. You know, some some days I feel like my wife thinks that I'm just I just like want to fight, and I'm. Just I don't like, think no, so. I've just, never felt that way with you, but. Well, we haven't disagreed this much yet, Wes. (laughs) Uh, The thing that I, that this does make me think of that I, that I really try to remind myself of and I remind my wife of this all the time because, you know, it's something like what she's doing now going back to get her MFA from NYU. It's, it's not, it's the journey, not the destination, right? So if you're going through something with the idea that you're going to be happy when you get there, you're doing it all wrong. Hmm. It's, you know I like you hear about these, these monks in Tibet who spend like years making these like little little um, uh, sand art designs and then they will just the moment they're done they just destroy the whole thing because it has nothing to do with finishing it's about the making of it and I think that as long as you keep that in mind you're okay right mm-hmm. with anything whether that's creating something or whether that's a relationship or whatever you're not in my relationship i'm my goal is not to die with her my goal is to be happy with with my partner throughout right and to remind myself of that so that's what i see in this you know the whole it's it's hard for me to embrace the idea of familiarity breeds contempt because there's then that that taints everything in my mind. It's not that it's not true in a lot of ways, it is. But I just try to keep that out of my mind because there's gonna be so many things that you do work for and then you do get. And then if that's part of your psyche, then it starts Swiss cheesing. Hmm. Everything that you get, right? You feel
1: like you're creating a self-fulfilling
0: prophecy at that point. To- yes, totally, mm-hmm. totally. So while that is true, I try to, and it, and I think that that you know what I think that that is true in a lot of cases where you're not actually getting what it is that you really want, right? Because what you real, if you if you were really getting what you really wanted, there would be no holes, there would be no no like contempt, there would be peace. Right. So I think you just have to really analyze what it is you're really what your goal really is or what your want really is. Because then if you get that, then that gives you peace. Right. So I I don't know. I'm not trying to be too heady or anything. I'm just like, yeah, just trying to trying to like reconcile this. And I I, in doing that, I think I I, this makes a lot more sense because you know, otherwise, like it's it's hard for me to do anything if I'm not enjoying doing it. Yeah. If I don't enjoy doing it, the process of it, the making of it, the the, the hours of it, the the labor, you know, so the anguish sometimes. Then it, what's the point in doing it? It's just like hard. It's already hard. You know. It's already hard to get up early in the morning and do something. If you hate doing the thing that you're waking up early to do, it's like hard, you know, makes it even harder. But if you like doing it, it makes it easy. All the other bullshit you have to go through easier. Anyway, never. Good quote, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good quote. Thank you guys for joining us so much. Uh, like Wes said, make sure to like and subscribe on the channel, and to leave a comment, to leave a review. All of that helps us so much. It really, really does. And thank you to everybody who's who's reviewed and and uh, um, looking forward to next week. We'll be doing Miami Vice. Until then, I am Todd. I am Wes. Go watch the movie. Thanks.